Dan Kirkendall is back in action with more hacking than ever. What's he hacking? Doesn't matter. New places. Somewhere on the stack where mobile and web play, where all the data waits. I'm Dan Kirkendall, and I'm going to show you what it takes to hack into nearly any place on the web. We've got to make it through a weak set of defenses in the sort of places you would think would have the right survival skills. Alrighty, folks, welcome back to the Man vs. Web App podcast. I am Dan Kirkendall, here with my co-host, Scott Davis. Howdy, howdy. So, we are a week late. Uh, I apologize. We really wanted to make sure we're getting this out every other week. That is the goal. We have our recording schedule every two weeks on Friday. But uh, I always had some travel schedule, and, and trying to get coordinated is always a trick. But anyway, here we are. It's Friday. We've been trying to do this all week, but we're finally here. So, today's topic is going to be all about the magic of I don't know what we call them these days but it's restful APIs APIs uh, web services I, I tend to call them web services that's my default umbrella for all of these things but we're going to kind of really cover this topic and why it's so important to application security and what you can do when you're dealing with web services to kind of really improve your ability to test these things and to really improve application security uh, with web services. So that's our topic for today. We're going to dig in as much as we can. For those that are uninitiated as to really understanding what web services are, you know, if you start off with the web back in, you know, the, the late 90s, early 2000s, you had very standard web pages that were, you know, intended to be viewed by a browser. So you had a browser and the web server was really there to deliver web pages. So you get HTML pages as your result. You do these get and posts. Uh, a get is what you would do usually when you click on a link. A post is often what you would do when you submit a form. And and that's how things worked. Well, the web server actually is a very convenient mechanism. And everybody was already opening up port 80 and 443. So the idea of doing other things that isn't necessarily for uh, human presentation kind of came around, right? We had already had a bunch of services before and you'd have custom ports for that and a whole custom server and everything. Well, it made a lot of sense to just kind of piggyback on web servers. So that's a great idea. And so this is where, and I don't know for certain the entirety of the history. I didn't do, I didn't go Googling around to try to figure it out. I'm going off of memory of what I knew at the time. So, uh, you know, those, you know, fact checkers out there, if you come up with some history that I missed, then, then good for you. Put it in the show comments. <laughs> but uh, as I remember, this really started off with Microsoft wanting to do this. And they started, they got a group together and created the first SOAP standard. It was a SOAP 1.0. And um, what does SOAP stand for, Scott? Do you remember? Oh, jeez. Uh, no. Let me Google that for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> 
So while, while he Googles that. Oh, it's a simple object access protocol. It's like a something protocol. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Okay, so SOAP was a, a simple model, and the first one actually kind of stunk. And then there was a competing format. It was XMLRPC, and there was this uh, interesting guy who created it, uh, and I can't remember his name at the moment. Uh, again, maybe you can Google this, but uh, <laughs> it was a one, in, one interesting guy who really kind of defined XMLRPC, and it was kind of the alternative. It was much more lightweight than SOAP. Gave you a little bit more flexibility. But then SOAP 2.8, 2.0, or maybe it was SOAP 1.1, I forget the versions here, but it was the next version of SOAP, came around, and it had something called a WSDL, or WSDL, a Web Service Description Language. It was a an accompanying XML file that described the SOAP API and the methods and parameters that the SOAP interface was providing. So it was quite powerful, and the combination really took off. And SOAP really became what we thought of as web services. When people talked about web services, it wasn't generality at that point, it was SOAP. And that's really what uh, held for a long time. And it's an open format. Microsoft adopted really the best. Others adopted it for sure. And pretty much every programming language out there started supporting it to some extent or another. Uh, and, and you built some SOAP APIs too for a while, didn't you, Scott? Yeah, uh, yeah we were doing uh, some grid computing on kind of ecological data and to you know export that to a web page to consume and, and do sort of various statistics and modeling. Um, SOAP was what we had and was what we used. I found it a very verbose, but uh, at least well-defined. And uh, that's my first maybe web services experience was with, I guess it might've been 2.0. Uh, this was like 2006 or five, one of those. I'm not sure. Yeah, so that would have been the more modern version of SOAP. And there's, a, a, you know, even newer ones now. But nonetheless, it was a great standard. Um, one of the things that, that had happened is that, as you mentioned, it was very verbose. And it was very rigid, right? You had to do some very specific things. And then it became even more rigid when there were developer tools, and again, mostly from Microsoft here at this point, that added a bunch of things on top of it and kind of, you know, this is kind of in the some of the heyday of, of Microsoft's embrace and extend, you know, philosophy where they would, you know, it would kind of, this is, you know, I like Microsoft a ton and they've done amazing things, but there was a, a period of time where they would embrace and extend things and make it almost proprietary again, right? And I remember trying to use like a Java client on a, a SOAP interface that was written in .NET or whatever at the time, you know, and there being incompatibilities for, you know, simple little things, little attributes or uh, elements of the XML that weren't supported by Java for some reason, and then everything would break. So SOAP kind of got a little bloated and frustrating. But that's really kind of what we came from. And so, the, again, going back to the fundamentals for those that aren't as familiar, instead of having human consumption, that you know, pages that are, are set up for human consumption, these web services are just really data conduits. It's a way to send data and receive data in a structured way that can be used by by programming teams. And so, you know, imagine you're the, you know, Ford car factory and you need to place orders for, you know, bolts and nuts uh, with your with your supplier. Well, they could the supplier could create a soap API that would, you know, allow the allow Ford to say, "Here's how many I need and here's when I need them." And uh, they could just do it on a quick order. 
and they could do it over web servers, which was really kind of clean and simple, and they didn't have to write a whole bunch of custom um, servers and services. They could just kind of piggyback on a web server very easy. So these SOAP APIs were very powerful, and they were mostly used for that sort of business-to-business -business activity. It's not really a you know user presentation thing like a web page, right? So this is a, a distinction. It's a web service. It's an API, an application programming interface, and that's really what it's geared for. So SOAP was great for that. But the verbos the ver verbosity, <laughs> verbosity, <laughs> whatever, uh, and and the rigidness of it was not very helpful when we started looking at, and again, this is going back into early 2000s uh, or whatever, mid first decade of the 2000s, when we started seeing Ajax applications. <laughs> and actually JavaScript created this, or the people who you know, defined JavaScript created this XML RP, or this uh, XML HTTP request header. And, and as its name <laughs> indicates, it was actually intended initially for XML. It was, it was thought of that JavaScript could go and call some kind of XML service, be it XML RPC or SOAP or something else, and get XML data that it could then parse and do something with. So, you know, and I think I mentioned this on the last episode, you know, when I saw Google Suggests for the first time, the web page saw me typing something in and was going back and hitting these APIs on Google and saying, here's the word they've typed, send me suggestions. It would get the suggestions back in an XML format, and then it would display it below the search box, right? And Google Suggest was hugely innovative at the time. It was powered by that, but it, they didn't. nobody wanted to use SOAP because SOAP had a lot of exchange. It was like the you know this big envelope, and, and then you had the XML, and there was a whole bunch of you know verbose and excessive stuff that you had to do to set up a SOAP transaction. And they wanted this to go really quick. So XML RPC and very simple little XML documents kind of sprung up. So we went from that, you know, let's, let's call SOAP, you know, the, the businessman, right? It's suit and tie. It's all buttoned up. Uh, then all of a sudden you start having some of these kind of custom formats that were, that were springing up. And nobody knew really what to do with them. Eventually, it, they started to define all of this as uh, RESTful APIs. And REST is not really a, a standard per se. It's a way. It's a, a style, right? Um, and what, do you, what does REST stand for? Do you remember? Uh, representative, representational Entity State Transfer, I believe. Okay, that sounds about right. So REST is not a specific format. It's not a, it doesn't have really a, a standard per se. It's just a way. It's, hey, you make something programmably uh, that I can send data to in a defined way, and that def definition can be done in however you want, and then you give me back data in a programmably usable format, right? So it could be XML. It could be a, a CSV, a comma delimited format, right? It could be anything. It doesn't matter. Um, JSTAR, JSON eventually springs up in this conversation because XML is kind of bloated. Right? If you look at an XML document, you have like an opening tag, and then you have you know various children tags, and it has a closing tag for each one of these. It's kind of like an HTML. You know, HTML is basically XML, but it's kind of bloated. So if you need some of this moving very quickly, uh, it got to be a little much. And so this is where JSON 
came in, into existence. And uh, JSON is the JavaScript object. Wait, JavaScript object notation. Yeah, I think that's a, yeah. Um, that sounds about right. Yeah. And and JSON was a new format, so all of a sudden we've moved now from XML to JSON. So REST didn't care. REST is like, oh, I don't care. It's programmable, useful, right? It doesn't matter what the format is. So REST was very, uh, you know, very much like my Portland buddy Sky is very hippie, right? It's like, <laughs> ah, just give me data. I don't care what the format is. It's loosey-goosey, right? It's not like SOAP and its rigid rules. It's like, whatever, whatever. This is an open, open model. You know, I give you XML, you give me JSON. It's all good, right? I don't know why it's a... Italian hippie, but oh, there you go. Um. <laughs> I think I think for me, RESTful is pretty loose there. But at least uh, th for me, mapping to the idea of CRUD or create, read, update, and delete was was pretty straightforward. Whether you're doing only one of those things or or just reading or creating, um, the mapping for uh, the ideas of of an entity and its state went really easily across that. And JSON was very easy to look at. For me, it was very much a a quick win. Yeah, it becomes very good. It's a, it's a very flexible model. But now, all of a sudden, you're in a situation where the RESTful API, the developer who creates the RESTful API, is entirely in control of how this API functions. And so the somebody that wants to use or consume this API, this RESTful API, they need some way to know what that API provides. Right when you were when we go back to the but the the suit and tie soap, it had a, a WSDL, the WSDL, which was a nice XML document that described the uh, it described the actual usage of the API. It described everything about it. It was really handy that way. There was actually there's even tools with soap that can take a WSDL and create a very simple uh, soap client to that API, to that soap interface. So that was a very powerful concept. Didn't exist for REST because there was this, uh, you know, that loosey-goosey, you know, hippie nature of REST that it could be anything at any time. And so you really had to get documentation or something from the developer of the API. And in most cases, that was like a Word doc or a PDF, uh, if you were lucky. <laughs> and, and the chance that it would get maintained was very difficult. Again, going with SOAP, the WSDL was generally created by the SOAP code itself. Uh, when you build the SOAP stuff, especially if you use the, the Microsoft tools, it would auto-create the WSDL, the WSDL. So that had, again, another powerful concept that didn't apply to REST. We just kind of had to ask and look for documentation, and I would go constantly, you know, there was a web service that I would find. I was looking through wikis and Word docs and PDFs and... You know, some vague descriptions sometimes where they're like, oh, yeah, it's a get, and here's the parameters, right? And it wasn't, there was. Or, or even a wrong description often happens. It's just like, oh, that's not even the request body in that, that document that defines this API. Right. Like, Ugh. Yeah, and there's like, oh, and by the way, you need these extra headers too. I'm like, what? <laughs> How am I supposed to know this? So, why this is an issue for security becomes really clear at this point because you start to see that. All of a sudden, there's all these APIs out there that I have no clue about. If I'm doing security testing, be it with a manual pen testing tool or an automated scanner, like what do I tell the tool to do? I, I can't point it 
at a REST API and say, go scan, because the REST API is listening for something, right? You have to tell it. You, it's like, uh, you know, like an ATM machine. I can't just walk up to an ATM machine and expect it to work and to all of a sudden give me money. I have to, uh, there's a protocol involved. I have to insert my card that was given to me, right? I have to give it my PIN number, and then there, it'll give me some commands to do, and I go back and forth, and I get them done, right? But if I just stand there in front of it and just start saying, like, give me money, right? Like, that's not the agreed upon <laughs> protocol, right? So <laughs> the REST APIs were a lot like that, is you don't have, there's no agreed upon or pre-set agreed upon, you know, conversational protocol here. So if I'm trying to scan it, I don't know what I'm doing. I, the scanner can't do anything. It'll go to the page, and the page may give us me an error and say like, you know, unsupported method. Like okay, <laughs> um, or just give me a 500 error or something, right? Um, but it is only going to return something if I tell it exactly the right command. Right? I need to know what that is, that open sesame command is or what all of the different commands are. So manual pen testers and automated tools have really been stymied for a while when it comes to RESTful APIs. What you end up having to do, and you know, and Scott, I know you've you've seen a lot of this, is you manually have to start getting in the middle. I did a bunch of talks around the Wi-Fi pineapple, and uh, Scott, you just got yours recently, right? Yeah, I got the new Nano and... Uh... I forgot the name of the, the, the larger version, but yeah, I haven't started playing with them. They're sitting right next to me. <laughs> well, these, uh, the Wi-Fi pineapple, what it allows you to do is become a man in the middle. Uh, and it's basically a Wi-Fi hotspot that you can very easily, and you could do, you don't have to do it with Wi-Fi pineapple, but it's just a nice way to do it. But you can become man in the middle between any client, and that could be your mobile device and its service, right? So if you're, watching and twitter has a bunch of documentation so maybe it's a bad example but it's one everybody understands you know let's say they didn't have nice documentation well i can man in the middle between my phone and loading up twitter and i see the traffic and i see it going out trying to look for its you know the, the twitter feed and and my direct messages and whatever and going and getting all that status and i could actually look at that traffic now once i see that traffic I can look at it and say, oh, here's the method it called, here's the parameters. I could start learning about that RESTful API. I could do this with a website, right? A website that is using various, you know, AJAX methods. You know, if I'm on Gmail and it's kind of a single page application, you know, or what they call SPAs, single page application, and it's going back and doing all these transactions with JavaScript, and it's using RESTful APIs behind the scenes to power it. Well, I can man in the middle of that, and I can look at that traffic, and I can see, you know, these various get and posts that it's doing behind the scenes. I can learn about that API. But imagine I use this for a while, I do everything. Does that mean I see all the methods? Right? Does that, like, what, what confidence do I have that I know all the methods that are actually there, right? And all the potential parameters. I only happen to see what I happen to see at the moment. So you really have a big gap here. And and it really became due to the lack of an analogy, you know, a, a whistle uh, like thing for rest. Fortunately for all of us, the developer community 
had their own problems with this, right? Because they didn't like having to try to consume RESTful interfaces that they didn't know anything about, right? So it's not just security people, right? We have the same problem as other developers trying to consume these RESTful APIs. And this is where solutions like, and I think the first ones out there were, oh shoot, I had them in mind earlier. Uh, there was some some previous models uh, that, that had totally failed and they were trying to, somebody actually tried using um, WSDLs for REST, uh, but again, the XML structure is, is a little too too buttoned up and it was hard to deal with certain things. There was also another one, uh, <clears throat> oh shoot, can't remember what it was. But though, anyway, there were some other ones that failed. Uh, but what has come up finally after a few failed attempts is Swagger, API Blueprint, and RAML. And what these do is, and this is a high uh, bar really, you have to build a format to create documentation, you know, that is programmably consumable. So this this has to be something in a format. And in the case of uh, Swagger, it's, uh, it's JSON or YAML. I don't know why they have both formats, but whatever. Uh, but it's a structured format. And it has to be able to describe just about anything. <laughs> it has to be able to say, okay, I'm going to want, I want, I want you to give me JSON. Here's the methods. Here's the parameters. Here's the structure for those things. Um, you know, if there's any special HTTP headers, authentication, and then also describe what it's going to return back to you, right? This is going to result in a, an, a JSON response, or maybe it's going to result in an XML response. Uh, it's got to be very flexible. And Swagger and API Blueprint, and I'm not as familiar with RAML, quite honestly, but what all of these have really done is, is largely achieve that. They really are very flexible. They allow you to describe the API that you created. So if you're sending GET and POST, you're sending a JSON structure, XML, whatever, it lets you describe your API that you built. And... Uh, and there are, all, are hooks so that you can actually put this in code and have it automatically generate, kind of like uh, SOAP has with, with its WSDL. And then there's uh, tools for actually auto-creating a client. And, and it surprisingly works really well. And so now, as developers adopt these things, as they adopt Swagger, API Blueprint, RAML, and, and, and beyond, and I'll let Scott take over for some, some of that and talking about where things are going. But... As people are adopting these formats, all of a sudden we have clarity into what's in that RESTful API. Uh, developers can leverage this to understand that API and really benefit from it uh, because now they can actually write clients to use these services. And, and that's really often why they're built, right? so people will use them, uh, but it makes it very easy for people to do that. So it's really, really powerful. I've been very excited because we've been able to take this and, uh, you know, and this isn't about our product or anything, but just, you know, the product is part of our day. So in, in our lives uh, with AppSpider, but we've been able to put support into AppSpider so we can actually consume Swagger documents. And then all of a sudden, hey, I know that RESTful API, I can actually start attacking it. I can start creating requests that it will accept and start attacking all the various, you know, parameters in each of these methods. And, and that's huge. 
So now we can start closing some of that visibility gap that we had before. We don't need to require that manually recorded effort. So it's really, really powerful, both for just the developers uh, and, and just for themselves and their own sake, right? They write an API. If they will create a swagger to go with it, then it makes it easier for people to consume that API. It's easier when they move on to the next task and a year later they're asked to add something new. They can look at their swagger and go, oh yeah, I see what I did here. Uh, okay, now I want to add this and I'll add it to the swagger as well. So it's been very powerful. I've really appreciated how things are going as we, as we move forward. Uh, you know, and I really hope that these standards really take hold. We've been pushing them with our customers to help them do it. What's great, if you're a security professional, is that uh, Swagger kind of gives you the ability to enter into the conversation with developers. We've had some of our, com our customers, some of the largest organizations in the world, uh, largest development you know, companies in the world, working with their, you know, with all of the different product lines or development teams in their company saying, hey, we need you to adopt one of these standards because we need to be able to do security testing. And we can't crawl a REST API, so we need that documentation. And, and then we can actually do proper security auditing and we don't need a human pen testing uh, service to kind of get some of this stuff done. They can really kind of automate it. And uh, so anyway, Scott, and I mean, that's kind of the, the history and that's kind of the, my, my in a nutshell, but I understand, and this is new to, this was fairly, relatively new to me. I saw it in some slides you were working on. Uh, I hadn't seen this yet. So catch me up. Swagger apparently is evolving a little bit. <laughs> Swagger, yeah, I still like to call it Swagger because it's so so swanky sounding. But it's been adopted by uh, the group, or it's called the AP, Open API Specification, and it's a it's a growing um, group that is is really concerned for for everything we're talking about, making it more seamless for development, for testing, um, for consumption, and they have a real you know a good history of 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 the background as far as like Corba, Wisdel and all of Swagger now. And so they're trying to take all of that with a kind of consortium of, of big players to move it towards version 3.0. And uh, version 3.0 is trying to be a little bit more inclusive, whereas version 2.0 was like, hey, is it REST? Is it XML and JSON? We got you covered. Um, this year, they're really working towards getting uh, the hate uh, the hate OS, hate OS um, APIs, MQTT, um, which is an IoT um, pub sub protocol and much awaited WebSocket. That, that's another um, one of those protocols that's um, well used and in, in a growing number of APIs that is kind of blind to a lot of our, our scanning um, currently. But that's where it's going. Um, uh, in, a, in, a, in a barrage of more uh, robust you know updates to the, the language. Um, I'm very excited to see where that's going. It seems like uh, there's some big names, so I'm really pushing that forward. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I think that as you know, I mean, the fact that it's it's actually evolving beyond just Swagger, and I do like the name because you know, you could do a lot of uh, punny stuff with Swagger, right? Oh yeah, puns. <laughs> it, it lends itself well to uh, to some dad humor here. Uh, but uh, oh, yeah. so, is it merging with like API Blueprint, or is it any of the efforts kind of merging together? I don't know what else you know there. I think they're. They're they're trudging ahead. I don't see really or have not seen anything yet about uh, the merging of any other standards. It seemed like the Open API initiative was around before Swagger, and they did their shopping around, and then 
um, then the Swagger Group donated um, all the Swagger Bass, which is substantially more than just the, the chord specification, um, but donated all of that um, to the, the organization, and they're going to roll with that, kind of like the, the selected best um, representation that they think is in, in all-inclusive as an open API. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. So, you know, I'm, I, I look forward to this, especially as, as we keep pushing this out right and we're starting to deal with this we have lots of organizations you know i was at, at an organization where they were um doing their audits and one of the questions that kept coming up was okay how are you testing your rest apis and they're like well we have to manually pen test those and we can only do those like every year or every two years or something right there was a, a big gap between when they would be able to do that and some of them were you know uh had been out there for a couple of years and hadn't been tested yet that was a big concern, but as we get some of these uh, standards adopted, things like Swagger or what was the, what's the new one called here again? Uh, open API. No, the Open uh, API. Yeah, I stuffed it. So yeah. as Open API maybe takes hold as these as these standards uh, really grab hold and the security tools then catch up, then it makes your job as a, as a security professional much easier because now you can actually build this in. And, and Scott, you were mentioning about being able to really plug this into even your continuous integration. And I know that we haven't described all the, the details of, of continuous integration, but we'll, that will be a topic for another day. But um, what, okay. what were you looking at there? Oh, um, coming from the past, very similar to what you're describing is a problem where, say you're, you're a security engineer or your team and you have a few dozen or a hundred, a hundred APIs, you know, spanning the the new and old of the spectrum, and um, twelve of them update a week or every two weeks, and each one gets new, um, say, new features or reduced features or whatnot that a, the development environment's going through with their QA process and checking. And if you don't have like a, a documentation that can be automatically fed into a scanning solution, somebody has to go in and do their man in the middle, discover all the endpoint uh, changes, and then rerun the security scan. Or um, if somebody's writing manual tests, they're going to have to rewrite all the tests and try to catch up to the new API. All of that takes a lot of time and a lot of like um, priorities kind of get in the way at times through the development process. And if, say, the code checked in to be tested, also checked in its updated Swagger document, and whatever automation consumes that, it's a done day, and we're looking at our Vuln summary and trying to make remediation for our product instead of, have you scanned the API? Have you done a regression test on the security things? We're getting to it. It's like, it it just removes so much of the the waiting around and annoying parts of, of security sometimes. It's like, all right, let's get to the stuff, and uh, sometimes that can be really fun. Yeah, it's it's a super powerful model. That, uh, you know, as we keep moving, as we keep going, uh, and we'll be definitely talking about continuous integration and how that really helps as well. But it, this ties in, right? All of these things are pieces of, of the puzzle. And, uh, and, and they're going to just keep giving us more and more clarity. The picture will become clearer and clearer as we keep adding these tools and adding these techniques together. So anyway, that is our topic on web services, RESTful APIs, APIs, whatever you want to call them. Uh, hopefully this has been useful, and uh, I don't really have any other parting ways other than be looking for this. Look for these uh, solutions. Look at ways to get your organization to pick one and adopt it. Uh, 
look for tools that can support consuming those those documents and and also keep in mind you do need to have tools that can support that as well as the formats that the traffic is going to be in right if a tool can actually consume it but they don't know how to deal with json and that's what you're using for your transport you know format then the tool is not going to really do you any good so there's a lot of pieces there's a lot of uh it's a, it's a big picture thing so uh, but anyway, that's my closing statement. It, it, look for these, look for adopting them, look for tools that support them, th that will help you. And, uh, and certainly start learning these formats yourself. Go to, you know, what is it? Swagger.org. Uh, or now I guess it's the, um, open APIs.org. Oh. oh, you can go to swagger.io. Oh, swagger it'll, it. it'll lead you, it, it'll lead you to the right place. Um, I want to just add one thing, um, is, we're, we're really touting these documents that describe your APIs, but since that's giving such visibility and such um, um, a rapid speed up in the ability to scan APIs, um, maybe think twice about how public these uh, documents are. If you say, you put up all the keys of the castle and your IP address and how do you get your auth token and all that stuff, and it's in your GitHub, and you're surprised one day when somebody's just scanning the internet and finds um, your super, super secret um, uh, security by obscurity um, API request, and it was just in there. Um, there's going to be some need to make these documents a little bit uh, protected, at least to what you want to protect. So, Very, very fine point right there. All right. Well, thank you very much. We'll be back in a couple weeks. If, we, if you don't hear from us before then, we wish you a happy Easter. And uh, that's it. That's it for me. That is. 